But uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to be. And as we consider this greatest gift, what I want you to consider is who this greatest gift came to originally. Who this greatest gift came to originally. Tim Keller refers to Mary, Jesus' mother, as the first Christian. The first Christian. I never thought about that before, but I think that is an appropriate place for us to go to as followers of Jesus right before Christmas. As we consider Mary the first Christian. What an awesome thought. But uh, the writer is Luke. And if you don't know your way around the Bible a lot, if you're new to this or if you just came to Christ, um, Luke is, uh, by a lot of theologians, referred to as the careful historian. I had a professor in uh, my undergrad, and he used to say, I think Ben had him too, Mr. Carver, and he used to always walk into class when we were studying Luke and go, ah, Luke, the careful historian, and uh, Dr. Luke, the careful historian. And so uh, I've just always been fond of that. And But here's why it's important. If you go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 1, this is not going to be on the screen, but uh, l- listen to what Luke says about why he wrote this book. Why, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke wrote these things down for us. This divine word come to us. Here, here's what he says. In as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Many believe that Theophilus funded a lot of the ministry that was taking place, that he was uh, well-to-do and was funding some of these things. Uh, And then he says this in verse 4, and he says this for you and I today, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's why we study the Bible. We go to the Bible. You're not here to be entertained by my eloquence, though it is phenomenal, if I do say so myself. And you're not here for that. You're not here for my jokes. You're not here for anything but the Word of God come to you each and every week. And Luke says that he has compiled this story that we come to today so that you can be certain. In a room with this many people, perhaps there's somebody who is not certain that Jesus is the Christ. That God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, was really who he said he was. But today you can be certain. You can be certain. So we have this careful account, this eyewitness account. And the way you can think about this is Luke going around interviewing people who were eyewitnesses. Interviewing people who saw and touched the Son of God. And who better to go to than Mama, right? Can I get an amen from the moms in the room, right? Does anybody know your kid better than you? Right? I remember when Maddox was born, our five-year-old. We have a seven-year-old that we adopted from Ethiopia, a five-year-old, and then a one-year-old. You'll hear the one-year-old scream at some point, I'm certain. And she found her voice, and she thinks it's awesome. 
But I remember when my fiver was born, and we adopted Malachi when he was five. So we didn't get him till a little bit later. So Maddox was our firstborn. And I'll never forget when he was born and just holding him. I, I then proceeded to throw up, and the doctor sent me home because I was stressed out by having a child. But that's beside the point. Um, back to the, don't you boo me. <laughs> I can see you. We're not so big yet that I can't see you. <laughs> but I'll never forget when they passed me my son. And it was just like, wow, the emotions that overcome you as a father for the first time. But what it didn't compare with in that moment was my wife being past this human being that she had nurtured in her womb for so long. That she had become one with for so long and then to be past that baby It's an amazing experience. It was beautiful. And so as Luke comes to Mary for the opportunity to put down for the rest of history in the divine word of God, what was that moment like? Had to be incredible. Had to be incredible. So so let's read it. Let's just read it in its entirety in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. And here's what the word of God says. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Pause. I want you to know that at Redeemer City Church, we believe in angels. We believe that they're real. We believe that God used them. And we believe that they still exist. Scripture says that uh, you may at times entertain an angel unbeknownst to you. And so whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me, Jesus said. And so we believe in angels. We believe in the good kind of angels. But we also believe in the bad kind of angels. So if you're new to the church in general, there's good angels, which are called angels. And there's bad angels, which are called demons. And from the very beginning of time, Lucifer, uh, that great angel, the worship leader in heaven, uh, thought that he could be equal with God. He became jealous of who God was and the attention and glory and holiness that God was uh, receiving and recognized for. And he decided that he wanted a little piece of that. And so uh, he decided to take a group of those angels and ascribe glory to himself and God threw them out of heaven. God kicked them out of heaven. And thus we have Satan. And that's the short version. But... Um, That is where the story of good and evil begins. And so God throws him out, but we still have these good angels. These good angels. And here is one. We have two that are named in Scripture. And here is Gabriel. He's come with a message from God. But then here's this ludicrous statement, okay? God's messenger Gabriel just sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Gabriel, if you're looking for a name, Carla, for your son, Gabriel, all right? It means sent from God. But listen to this. I circled this in my Bible, and you should too, because this is where the story of Christ meets you. Are you tracking with me? This is where the story of God intersects with you personally. Listen to what it says. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. 
That doesn't mean a whole lot to you and I today. But back then, that would have meant a whole lot. Nazareth was simple. Nazareth was rural. Nazareth was tiny. And Nazareth was incredibly poor. Nazareth is a lot bigger now in this day and age than it was then. And so uh, think of it like this. Have you ever been on a road trip with your family just driving around? And you come to certain exits where you need gas and you get off and you're like, oh, this is not a good place to be. And so you like pull into the 7-Eleven, you get gas and you get out. That was Nazareth, right? So I just want to give you the right picture of Nazareth. Nazareth was not the place for God to come. It's not the place for royalty. Can you prove that, Pastor Mitch? Yes, I can. John chapter 1, verse 45 Here's what the Bible says. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What a great announcement. We found the baby. It's the very one for thousands of years that we have been waiting for. And Nathanael responds in verse 46 and he says, Can anything good Come out of Nazareth. Not what Philip was hoping for, I'm confident. With the announcement that God was born. But look at what Philip said. And this is why we give you invite cards for Christmas Eve. Look what he says. Come and see. Come and see. You you don't have to save people. All you have to do is bring them Jesus. Just bring them to the feet of Jesus. Well, what if I can't answer their questions? God can. God can. God's not afraid of your questions. God's not afraid of their questions. But you have a story. Philip had a story. He goes to Nathaniel and says, I found him. I found all the answers that I've ever been looking for. Come and see. Despite Philip's shock that anything would come out of Nazareth, Nathaniel literally questions the credibility of the incarnate God because of the place that he chose to come. And I want you to know that this is where God meets you. He knows you by name. He knows the hairs on your head. He takes care of the birds of the air. He'll take care of you. And so God comes to Nazareth. But before he was born, Gabriel came, sent from God, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, which we just met. Now verse 27, it gets even crazier. As if it wasn't bad enough that he came to Nazareth. Now we're going to meet Mary. Look at verse 27 of Luke chapter 1. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Let's talk about Mary for just a second. Most historians think that Mary was somewhere between the age of 12 and 14. Think about that. I think a lot of times we think of, um, you know, those pictures of Mary that we get of like, of like Saint Mary, you know, where she's like in her like mid 40s, perfect com- white complexion and uh, flowing hair. And uh, I saw one picture this week of uh, she was wearing a crown and she was holding baby Jesus, and he was wearing a crown. And, I'm, and it's like, 
That's not actually what happened. All right. First of all, Mary was not white. And I'm pretty confident she was not white. She was from the Middle East. And um, they weren't wearing crowns, were they? <laughs> no, they were in a, a, a horse trough, literally. A feeding trough. And so what I, what I want you to recognize today is that God came in the humblest of circumstances. He didn't come in royalty. He didn't come in... I mean, if, if you and I were going to come as God, we would have some good ideas. We would have some good ideas of exactly how I would roll into town. All right? I still like to do that when I go visit my family. You know, like rent a car that I could never actually own and, uh, you know, just roll in. But that's not what God chose to do. God chose to come to Nazareth to marry. Do we, do we have any 12 or 13-year-olds in here? Come here. I just want you to get a picture of Mary. Just pretend just pretend Maya was brown. Alright? But but seriously, most of the time we we think of like middle aged uh mature woman. Not that you're not mature. That's not what I mean. <laughs> this is the picture you should have of Mary. Great job. <laughs> but some, we, we just, we've heard the story so many times that sometimes we forget the details of what God actually did. That God came in the flesh to the least of the towns, to the least of the women. Most likely Mary was, uh, was uneducated, illiterate. And then she was betrothed to Joseph, which betrothal was like an engagement. It was, but you were actually married. It was weird. You were. It was like marriage without the benefits, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, so, but moving on, but <laughs> it also required divorce. So, like the, the deed was done. It, it was sealed, and the celebration was to come, and it would be a, a glorious celebration, as good as you could be in Nazareth, according to Nathaniel. And so, this is Mary. This is Mary, middle school Mary. And this is where Gabriel, sent from God, glorious angel Gabriel, one of two that are actually named in the Bible. He was a big deal. If you get a visit from Gabriel, you're a big deal. That's a good day. God's messenger, Gabriel, comes to this middle schooler. This setting is unlike any other. It's unlike any other. And what was the message that Mary, of all people, Virgin Mary, got from God? Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, I love this, just like Gideon in the Old Testament. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary could have at that point uh, objected from an economic standpoint. Um, I am not the favored one. I am in Nazareth. And I am 12. <laughs> There's literally nothing in my culture. That is going well for me. Women were not treated with equality. Uh, Christian women. I think we have record. Were, were treated with love and dignity. But as a society and culture. Uh, they were not. And so here's Mary. Gabriel. 
Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled. Horrified would be a good translation. At the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This is the gospel. This is you and this is me. God, not you, initiating his coming into your life and saying, Greetings, Mitch. Greetings, Jake. Greetings, Put your name. You have found favor with God. And the proper response uh, is this mixture that Mary has of fear and wonder and awe that the God of the universe would reach down and save you. What an amazing, amazing encounter with God. Mary brought nothing to the table and you this christmas bring nothing to the table and that is great news great news you can't buy enough presents you can't give enough smiles you can't rip open enough wrapping paper to bring anything to god we are mary You are Mary. Humble, nothing Mary. She found favor with God. What is favor? Favor is grace. Favor is the unmerited love of God being given to you. And her story is our story. It's not religion, it's why we worship. It's not about religion. Mary's response here is great. I love this because Mary is honest and Mary is also trusting. Okay, look at this in verse 34. Look at how she responds. Uh, Well, let's back up. Let's catch uh, verse 31. And the angel says to her, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. You should circle that in your Bible. Because Mary was not great, but she was going to bring the grace of God to the world, and he would be great. See, Mary was not great. Jesus was great. You are not great. Jesus is great. And he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And I love Mary's response. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I... Am a virgin. I don't know if you've heard, Gabriel. <laughs> Joseph and I, we have not done that yet. <laughs> We're going to, but we haven't. How can this be? I want you to notice a subtle nuance in Mary's response. See, a lot of times, uh, we bring our questions to God with unbelief and say, God, prove yourself. Mary comes to God and asks a question. Mary's question is faith seeking an answer. And I want you to just ask yourself this Christmas, are you bringing questions 
in faith seeking God's answer? Or are you bringing unbelief through questions seeking God's approval? God's approval. A lot of times we come, and I even say to you every week, God's not afraid of your questions. But how are you coming with your questions? Let's not forget the holiness of God. Let's not forget that the God of the universe has sent his son to die in your place so that you could have access into the throne room of heaven, Hebrews tells us. So while Hebrews says that we come boldly into the throne room of grace with confidence that he's there to meet us and give us grace and mercy in our time of need, while that is a glorious reality, let us not come in frivolously. Let us not come in on Christmas morning frivolously. Can I just make a really simple suggestion to you? Before your family rips open anything for themselves, read the Christmas story. Just, just center your family back into Christ. And then celebrate your gifts as good gifts from the Father. As good gifts from the Father. Think, think about Mary's response here. Why do I say that? Because look at verse 38. Let's jump to the end of the story and see the end. Look at what she says. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary asked the question, I'm a virgin. How's this going to work? And then she gets an answer and she says, Let it be according to your word. Are you asking God questions today? Most of the time he's giving an answer and we're saying, nah, that's not the answer I wanted. Let's reorient back around Jesus Christ and say, let it be to me according to your word. What are you walking through today that God is putting in your path? Not, not all suffering comes from the devil. Sometimes God puts you through something for the glory of his name so that you in the midst of your suffering can say, glory be to God. Mary is in that place. Mary doesn't have money. She doesn't have affluence. She doesn't have fame. She has nothing that royalty would desire. And now, as a virgin who is about to have a baby growing inside of her, she would forevermore be an outcast in her own neighborhood. Think about that. It was a shame. You could be stoned to death. And in fact, the story in Scripture says that Joseph planned to to put her out privately. He was just going to be gracious to her. He was going to divorce her. But instead of stoning her like he was allowed to, he was just going to put her away privately and she would just live in obscurity for the rest of her life with her baby. That was the path. Until God sent a messenger to Joseph. And then they together in uh, rejection brought Jesus into the world. Wow. Think about Mary's response here. I think there's four things just really briefly that you can take away from that. Her response, and I've alluded to it already, had centrality to it. It, brought, it was centered. Her soul and spirit, that which doesn't move, that which is eternal. Uh, her curiosity wasn't piqued. She went straight to the real reason. How can God come through me because I'm a virgin? It wasn't like, oh, I just, I had this idea of how my wedding was going to go. And, uh, you know, I just bought the bridesmaids dresses and now my dress is not going to fit Jesus. So 
You know, I'm going to have a bump at my wedding. That's not good for pictures. You know, and that, that wasn't her response. What did she do? She was centered. How can I do this thing for God when I'm a virgin? How can I do it? How can I do it? She was centered on the thing that mattered. What God had called her to do. And she recognized that she couldn't do it. You and I, this Christmas, God's called you to something. God's called you to do, to be his witness. But it's too big for you. It's too big for me. When you walk in there and you feel horrified because you're supposed to tell somebody, that's, that's the way it should be. <laughs> but then we remember, like Mary got the word, that it's God who works in you to will and his good pleasure. See, because the second thing that I want you to notice about her response was wonder. How can these things be? And then when Gabriel told her, <laughs> wow, let it be to me according to your word. Do you stand in awe of Jesus today? We sing these songs. We lift our hands up because we're in awe that God would choose us. We, we, we come this Christmas in the 80 degree heat and no snow. That, that's harder to be in wonder when that's happening, by the way. It's when the snow's falling, it's like, oh, this is awesome. But uh, we come in wonder anyway. And we stand in awe in the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> because he's great. He is great. She also had fear. And there's healthy fear, by the way. I, I, I do not buy into the fact that so many people say that fear in Scripture, the fear of the Lord in Scripture, is just reverence. I don't buy that because the New Testament tells us that we ought to fear the God who can throw you into hell. The Bible says that Mary there was greatly troubled. When God comes and speaks... There's some fear that we would be greatly troubled. And, and the reason that fear is necessary is because when we are standing in fear of God and then he showers his grace on you, it is all the more shocking. It's all the more special. It's all the more sweet to be adopted into the family of God when I didn't deserve any of it. That is the doctrine of adoption. That I deserve to be pulverized, but I made a son and given all the rights as an heir of God. Wow. She stood in wonder and fear. And then she landed on the truth. Will you land on the truth this morning? Let it be according to your word. As you read his word, will you submit to the word of God today? We submit to the word of God. Nothing is impossible for God. Our God is the God of the impossible. He can make barren wombs pregnant. He gave Virgin Mary a baby who was God. He created everything in the universe from nothing with the word of his mouth. He makes enemies friends. He saves sinners like you and me. Despite our unworthiness, we've been given favor with Almighty God. This is why as Christians... At Christmas, we are hopeful. We are hopeful. Jesus saves sinners. 
You're proof of that, by the way. If, if, you, if, you, if you share Christ with somebody and they want proof, you can just say, look at me. Look at me. I am proof of that. You see, there, there's a doctrine in Scripture called the imputed righteousness of Christ. And it's a double imputation. It happens twice. This is really important for you at Christmas because it makes it uh, all the more special that this greatest gift of all comes to earth. Think about it this way. Jesus uh, imputed his righteousness to you passively. And in, in that, it means that he took your punishment. He bore your sin. What you did, he took passively because he didn't have to. He didn't deserve it. He didn't do it. You did. And so passively, he accepts what you did. And in that way, you're given his righteousness. But then he actively imputes his righteousness to you because he actively lived righteously and then transferred that to you. So he takes your sin, what you did, and then what you didn't do, he gives to you because he did it. So from both sides of the coin, Jesus has taken what you did and paid for it on the cross. And then he gives you what he did, which you didn't pay for. He's given you his righteousness. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I think I have it on the screen for you. Here's what it says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the gospel. We sing and pray and listen to God's word every week because our God is the God who did and does the impossible. And the outworking of that is that he can heal your marriage. He can restore relationship with your kids. He can rescue you from depression. He's enough for you this Christmas. He's enough for you because he's secured everything you need in Christ for your satisfaction. He's enough. Let me say it to you this way. What do you need to lay aside in the power given to you by the blood of Jesus through the imputed righteousness of Christ? What do you need to lay aside right now? Right now. We're going to take communion in just a second. But what do you need to lay aside right now so that, like Mary, you can receive that message from God with wonder and amazement and fear in truth? Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely. Does that sound like your life today? That some sin, that some weight would cling so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do I do that? How do I do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What do you need to lay aside in the power of Jesus today? The 